This podcast is part of the Deluxe Edition Network. To find other great shows on the network, head over to deluxeeditionnetwork.com. That's deluxeeditionnetwork.com. We had a message come to us that said, if you're looking for a wild story from some small town, then you definitely need to read into the past of Burke, Idaho. So naturally, I was thinking, all right, well, we haven't really done anything other than, you know, Detroit, Michigan area and a lot of New York. So let's try a different state. Then I was thinking, what could have potentially happened in a state full of potatoes? Ironically, on the day that we're doing the research and potential recording, it's National Potato uh, National Potato Day. So happy belated National Potato Day to you, Meg. Mm-hmm. And everybody watching, hopefully you enjoy some potatoes at the time of listening to this. You can still celebrate it because let's be honest, potatoes are great. But either way. What we're going to talk about is a town that is just, or was, filled with violence and unfortunate tragedy. Buckle up, because we're about to go on a wild adventure through the past, courtesy of Burke, Idaho. Cue the intro. Meow. And we're back. For anybody listening, the voice you're hearing, it's me. It's Matt. And I am with my beautiful co-host, Meg. How are you, Meg? I'm good. And as I played the intro music, she was like, you forgot to do the intro where we do I'm Matt and that's Meg. But mixing things up a little bit. As the podcast goes, we're evolving, unlike this town. But uh, I kind of gave you a little bit of a rundown on this. And this is a pretty wild story, to say the least, isn't it? Yeah. And I, I... this is going to be a little bit of a longer one, so do bear with us. I, I I really wanted to portray how this kind of city, this town, has kind of just turned into what it is today. And I feel like we should just jump right into this, right? Correct. Okay, let's just go. So Burke, Idaho, obviously, is what we're talking about. And according to Wikipedia, it's a ghost town that is now in the Shoshone County. Probably butchered that. How would you say it? Shoshone. Shoshone. Oh, that's fun to say. <laughs> Let me redo that. It's a ghost town in Shoshone County, Idaho, which is in the United States and was established <laughs> in 1887. It was once a thriving silver, lead, and zinc mine community. The town saw significant decline, to probably say the least. And in the mid-20th century, things really got bad. But let's ease our way into the mid-20th century in Shoshone County. The population went from 1,400 people in the early 1900s to around 15 people in the 1990s. Seriously, I'm not really sure why 15 people chose to live there in the 90s and potentially still live there. But let's let's go. The mining town. Do you have any guesses why 15? Like, why would you say there? 15 people? 15, one, five. Hmm. Maybe that's all that can handle it. Tough enough. I guess so. And tough is an understatement. Probably generations and generations of tough Maybe they're descendants. Oh, I love the band Descendants. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about this. All right, Mining Town was formed after the discover of rich deposits of silver and lead in 1884 in Burke Canyon. Burke Canyon is long and thin, only 300 feet wide at its narrowest point. Many would think it would be impossible to fit a whole entire town into that kind of space, but guess what? They figured it out. Tiny town. Tiny town. That's what they should have called it. <laughs> but they were like, oh, we, we already got Burke Canyon. We're just going to continue to just call it. 
All right. If you hear us call it Tiny Town, it'll make a little more sense because of everything that we're going to talk about. So the first mine in Burke was called the Tiger Mine. Imagine the Tiger Mine in Tiny Town. It's got a good ring to it. We should have been inventors in the 1800s. Maybe. If anybody needs the town name, hit us up. Your town pod at gmail.com. I'm not even sure if that's the email address. But if you get a return to Thunder, Matt at beerlog.com will work. Was discovered in 1884. This mine, the first mine in Tiger Mine, 1884, May of 1884. The same year, the Tiger Mine was sold to S.S. Glidden. Glidden? Glidden. Glidden. For that's 30. How I say it. Glidden. In Shishashone County. Shishone. For $35,000. By the end of 1885, over 3,000 tons of ore had been extracted from the Tiger Mine in Shishone County. The high volume of ore being extracted from the mountains led Glidden to begin construction on a railroad from the mine to Wallace. On July 6, 1887, Glidden incorporated the Canyon Creek Railroad, a three-foot-wide, narrow-gauge railway which operated from Wallace to the Tiger Mine. Additional investors were like, hey, we want it in this Canyon Creek Railroad. So they got uh, Harry Glennon, Frank Culberston, Alexander Tarbay, or Tarbay, depends if he was French or not, and Charles W. O'Neill. Why do I continue to add names into these these articles that I write? I can, I can, I can terrible a group of gentlemen. A group of gentlemen. All right. It's like my kryptonite. It's like... <laughs> All right. That's behind us, just like a lot of this, but hey, September 1887, little work had been accomplished on the railway. Accumulations of mined ore in the area had reached over 100,000 pounds. They went from 3,000 to 100,000 in a couple of months. Glidden, 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 sounds like a trash bag brand, was forced to sell the line to D.C. Corbin. Shout out Corbin and you're easy to name. So under Corbin's overseeing, by November of 1887, three miles of tracks at 4.8 kilometers, for anybody that doesn't deal with miles, had been laid. And it was then that the town of Burke was formally established. The town was so small as vehicles and people were near the trains and as the trains was coming through, they actually had to get out of the way. There's even rumors that when businesses started forming, their awnings actually had to be lifted as the train came through town multiple times a day. Can you imagine standing on a sidewalk? They, I don't think they had sidewalks. It was just train tracks. It was just a shared roadway. And then business runs. There are some amazing vintage photos that I definitely am hoping. Producer Zach, please get these on the socials. If not, hopefully I'll remember. Or Meg, maybe I'm going to get you on the gram. Do you think you could post a picture today? No. Darn it. Okay. <laughs> if anybody listening wants to help post a picture today, please let me know. Can you imagine, though, being in one of those businesses and having the train roll through and you'd have to, like, hold things on the wall? So I imagine it caused a commotion. A locomotion commotion is what I think they <laughs> called it. But yeah, it, it, so the awnings were actually on ropes, I think I read. So they actually had to, oh, time for the train to get ready. So they'd have to run out, grab the ropes, and hold the awnings until the train went by. Then they could put them back down. Hmm. If you think that's wild, wait until you hear about the building of this. Because this is wild. This is the first time I've ever heard of anything crazy like this. 1886, the Tiger Hotel is being built to be able to house all of these miners that are coming to these mines. It's a three-story hotel that actually straddled Main Street. And the railroad that we just talked about had to run through the lobby of this 150-room Tiger Hotel because there just wasn't enough room. Not only did they have a train track running through it, though, they had two sets of tracks and 
a stream running right through the lobby. That'd be a sight. Wouldn't it? And at first I'm thinking, man, talk about a good, like trying to get a good night's sleep, you get a discount for this and that. These miners had to be exhausted going through there and just getting a good night's sleep. And I was going to make some kind of joke or whatever, but uh, I think they'd only ran a couple hours a day. So I'm assuming it's not running at nighttime because there's nobody working in the mines heavily, I think, at this time through there. But uh, you know what? Burke's being built. Things are going pretty good. You know, things are off to a really good start with a new town with a kind of boring name. It should have been Tiny Town, but things are good. Business is booming. Trains are rolling. Streams are streaming. Then there's February 4th, 1890. Three years after existence, less than three years, actually, there was a um, there was an avalanche. It was the first avalanche in Burt's history, and it caused major damage to residences, businesses, the mines, and everything, and it unfortunately killed three people. It was then 1891. The avalanche wasn't enough. Tensions started to mount between miners and the mining companies. At this time, it seemed pretty bad, but in 1892, it got real, real bad. So, again, in 1892, hard rock miners started to strike as their wages were cut. The miners demanded that a living wage of $3.50 per day be paid to every man working underground and the common laborer as well as the skilled employees because there was two different groups. You had your laborers and then you had your skilled workers. And as we dive into this just in another sentence or two, you're going to realize something that had never really happened before because... Other mines started to kind of pop up in the area because obviously if there's one deposit of this, there's many deposits. So these these started to come up and as they're striking, these miners were starting to go to other mines. Uh, at this point, there's really no union. There, there's no way to protect these. So they're like, to heck with it. And Burke, if you're not going to pay us, we'll just go to these other mines that were there. Um, so they started to do the strike and working in these other places. And the strike was pretty wild and it had a terribly hard name to pronounce. Uh, I'm going to let Meg try this one first because, I mean, I think the, the, the listeners love me butchering names, but uh, go ahead. I would say Kuradaline. That's the name of the labor strike and it erupted in violence. But what was unique about this and it never really happened before is you had 3,000 higher paid miners that were standing up for 500 lower paid laborers. And again, one of the first, if not the first time that this ever happened. The labor union miners discovered they had been uh, kind of inf- uh, in, in, uh, talk right now. I lost my train of thought. I'm just I'm just loving these tunes by Colin Woods and, and the production company. So click the link if you want some of your own tunes. I just got stuck into it. They were infiltrated by a Pinkerton agent who had routinely provided union information to the mine owners. The Pinkertons and other agents went into the district in large numbers. Soon there was a significant security force available that was there to protect new workers that were coming into the mines. For a time, the struggle manifested as a war of words in the local newspaper started, and then mine owners, mine workers, just kind of, just went, it, it, it got really, really bad. But there was an undercover agent in particular that was one of the Pinkerton agents that was very well known in a lot of stories, history books. That was Charlie Seren- Seringo? Seringo? Seringo, who had worked in the gem mine as a shuffler. Using the alias Charles Leon Allison, he joined the gem miners' union and was elected recording secretary, providing him with access to all the union's books and records. Hi, I'm Don Brody, a comedian with a history degree and the host of the podcast, Hilf. 
history I'd like to fuck. Each episode, I am joined by a new guest who has brought me a subject from history that they want to know more about. Then I hit the books, I dig deep in the annals, and stimulate. (laughs) We've covered Frankenstein, Houdini, Joan of Arc, Pompeii, the Salem witch trials, right? Join us and find out for yourself that history is a party and everybody's coming. (laughs) You found that the leaders of this... Brutaline? Yeah, union to be, as a rule, a vicious, heartless gang of anarchists. Sunday, July 10th, armed union miners gathered on the hills above the Frisco mine. More union miners were arriving from surrounding communities. Strikers opened fire at 5 a.m. on July 11th, 1892, and guards and workers in the mill were starting to return fire. I mean, just picture this. You're in this Burke Canyon, shots fired and just remember this this mine is only at at its max 300 feet you have businesses hotels bystanders houses and there's just shots trains trains (laughs) so the guards and strike breakers inside the mine and mill buildings were prepared for a long standoff having been warned by charlie serengo both sides began shooting to kill after three and a half hours of gunfire with casualties striking miners on the hill above sent a bundle of dynamite down a sluice into the mill destroying the building and crushing one of the strike breakers the rest of the strike breakers in the wrecked frisco mill surrendered and were taken to the union hall as prisoners after the helena frisco strike breaker surrendered the striking miners shifted to the gem mine where a similar gunfight took place the gem miners were well entrenched the gem management fearing similar destruction of property as took place earlier at the Frisco mine ordered the men to surrender. Three union men, one company guard and one strike breaker were killed by gunfire before the strike breakers surrendered. At the end of the day, six men were dead, three on each side, and there were 150 strike breakers and guards held prisoner in the union hall. They were put on a train and they were told to leave the county. Isn't this wild? It is. I'm surprised this isn't a movie. Right? <laughs> it should be. Mate, you want you want to make a movie? <laughs> so this is so out of hand that the governor had no other choice but to declare martial law and ordered the Idaho National Guard to come and assist. They ruled the town for four straight months in order to get well order back in place. So you have the government, you have the army, the National Guard is in there. Four months later, they're good. The dust settles. Burke continues to develop. The Tiger Hotel for all the miners. Everything seems to be going well. And then they have a grease fire that severely damages the hotel and actually actually kills three people in 1896. This place is just doomed. And it happens in threes. You know what I mean? The towns form three years later. Avalanche. And then the, the fight. And then this grease fire in 86. So now we're in 1899. Violence in the mine, mines erupts again in response to the Bunker Hill Company firing 17 men for joining the Union. The miners dynamited the Bunker Hill and Sullivan Mill. Lives were lost once again, and the Army had to come back. It was reported that 100 men went to the Frisco Mines, loaded 80 crates containing 50 pounds of dynamite. More and more miners came from more and more different mines with more dynamite, until eventually, after all the gunfire and explosions, the mine was actually completely destroyed. You had hundreds and thousands of pounds of dynamite, and it just exploded. The mine 
gone. Millions of dollars, probably at that time, I'd have to imagine that mine was producing. Gone. So here comes the army. They're back. They restore control of this wild town. The city, after this, and surrounding mines continued to prosper, and it actually wreaked its peak in population in 1910 at 1,400 people. But you're never going to guess this. Tragedy strikes again. In February of 1910, an avalanche strikes again and kills 20. So usually things come in three, not this time. Six months later, the Great Fire of 1910 hit this town and did more damage to the town. And the Great Fire of 1910 was wild. Uh, I I did read up on it. I, I didn't think it was real prevalent to this story. But, I mean, it was just a fire that took over the Northwest and just did millions and millions of acres well i think it was millions of acres of damage it was just unbelievable if uh if you if you get a second in your day just google the great fire of 1910 and know that idaho burke idaho was uh, affected in this as well so again here's this number three years later 1913 there was a flood that impacted the town with sediment and debris building up against the tiger hotel as water cascaded down the gulch the town was impacted by further damage in July 23rd, 1923, and another fire broke out that caused extensive damage to numerous buildings in this town. The fire was caused by the spark of a train going through the town and impacted 50 houses and businesses. The damage was estimated to be a million dollars in damage, left 600 people homeless. The Helka mine was shut down for several months because it needed to be rebuilt from all the fire damage. And the most notable damage of all was obviously the Tiger Hotel. And after the fire and with the mines being lost and all the violence and avalanches and and flooding and everything that just continues to happen, it just increasingly became unprofitable uh, throughout the 1940s. And eventually it was shut down and torn down in 1954. By the mid-20th century, mining operations in Burke had slowed down after the closure of several mines. And actually the last mine in Burke closed in 1991. According to the U.S. Census data at this time, there were 15 residents in Burke in 1990. 15. I wonder how many there are now. Um, if, if you do look now, um, the the buildings are just the old mines. It is legit a ghost town. And if you look, you just type, start typing in Burke, Idaho. Um, it's just a ghost town. Uh, it, it's why I just don't understand. I mean, I do understand. I guess if you take away production and everything else like that, it it, it just kind of diminishes. A uh, quick Google search. Um, obviously, closed in '91. There was about 15 people. Census in 2002 said there was about 300 people that lived in or nearby Burke Canyon, but uh, Burke itself has zero residents. Hmm. Zero. From nine, uh, 1,400 people to zero. I wonder if you can visit, tour it. I have to imagine, but uh, I don't. I, I mean, it would, I guess, be a little eerie just to see some of the buildings. I would definitely, probably, not want to visit the mines. But, uh, why is that on on the bucket list of us having to go and? You know? I find it intriguing. Uh, so I uh, again looked up real quick Burke Ghost Town. So if you look this up. Do not go into the, any of the caves or dwellings. It is also not recommended to visit after dark of hmm. Burke there. It says, um, there is talk of paranormal activity in the area. To find the town, take exit 62 on Interstate 90 at Wallace. Um, 
and then go north on Idaho State Highway 4. Burke is exactly seven miles up the canyon. There we go. It's just outside the town of Wallace. If anybody's in the area and happens to go down there, maybe send some pictures. It'd be cool to have some present-day pictures from some listeners, some viewers. That'd be cool. Uh, but the, the, the images, I mean, if you just, just Google Burke, Idaho, go to Google Images and just look at what it looks like now from then, it is definitely an amazing story so uh yeah thanks thanks to whoever mentioned it there and uh between avalanches floods fires burke saw more than its share of natural disasters over the years today only a handful of residents which we actually just uh looked but a handful of residents between wallace and burke and obviously none in burke the whole entire area is just left in rubble and marks under the foundation of a town in a fading form um, just kind of just a fading memory. It's it's wild, wild to see. You just saw some of the images real quick. I brought them on the computer and I showed you a couple before. It's just crazy, crazy to see a ghost down. Well, again, if you have any stories that you're listening and you want us to cover them, dig deep into them, we would love it because this is the Your Town podcast. It's your town, your stories. We couldn't do these stories without, uh, you know, all of these amazing sources and stuff that we do find on the internet. So a couple of the sources real quick is the westernmininghistory.com, historynet.com, atlasobscura.com, writergirln.com, only in your state.com and our favorite Wikipedia. So, what's your overall feeling on this, Maggie? I feel like I need to see it. <laughs> need to see it? Yeah. Hmm. It just, there's just so much that happened in such a small area. It is. I mean, the history is there. And I feel you, like you have to see it to really grasp it. Mm hmm. I don't know. Hard to believe this they could have that much going on in a 300 foot mm-hmm. area yeah it's wild all right let's end this with a quote as always the mining industry might make wealth and power for a few men and women but the many would always be smashed and battered beneath its giant treads that's from Catherine Susanna Pritchard there we go. All right. That's episode 20. Shout out to the Deluxe Edition Network, like you saw in the introduction. Super excited to be a part of that. Make sure you check out all the other amazing podcasts on at deluxeeditionnetwork.com. That's all we got. We'll be back for episode 21. Thanks, man. That's fun. That was fun. You enjoy it? Sure did. Want to do it again next week? Maybe. Maybe. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> Until we got. Until next time. Take care, everybody. Okay, bye. 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 Hello, listeners, and welcome to Quad Pro Quo. Right now, you are probably thinking to yourself, oh, great, another movie podcast. Well, dear listener, you would be right. But throw in a couple of marriages, decades-long friendships, and a shared property line, and you have just another movie podcast with a shitload of drama. Inspired by the iconic quid pro quo scene in Silence of the Lambs, Each week, one of us will pick a movie. It could be a childhood favorite, a classic film noir, an Academy Award winner, or a complete dumpster fire that brings joy to that person's heart. 
the selector's objective? To get us to love, or at the very least, not hate their pick? Will our marriages, our friendships, and our neighborhood survive? Find out each Thursday on Quad Pro Quo.